Welcome to This Wayfaring Life, where we celebrate coming fully alive to the adventure of following Jesus. I'm your host, Dawn Jackson. Each week, we lean into stories and conversations of faith and hope seasoned with just enough grit to give you traction. I'm glad you're here. Welcome back to This Wayfaring Life, friends. It is good to be back here with you. And as I'm recording this, this is a beautiful October... I think it's uh, Monday morning in October, and it's gorgeous outside. I had the chance to get out on my bike this morning, did some climbing up Glendora Mountain Road. Then I needed to go shoot some video on a trail, so I got some trail time, and ah, it's just so nice out there. Now, having said all of that, um, it's also got me realizing that I have what I call uh, Sierra Longings. And what that means is just this, it's almost like withdrawals because I have not had the opportunity to get to the Sierra Mountains in a long time. I usually try to get up there every single year to do some backpacking, and I had plans to do backpacking there this last summer, but the snows were so deep, it just uh, the dates just didn't work out. And then I thought, well, I'll get there in October, but my calendar's just been too full. So I just have these withdrawals going on and these Sierra longings, and so that's going to lead us to today's shout-out. Now, just a reminder that shout-outs really are just things that I find that are either resources that I think you might be interested in or fun Um, fun things to do. It could be some cool items you might want to take a look at. Um, It's just a lot of different things and just, it has nothing to do with the content of the rest of the podcast. It's just a simple shout out. So today's shout out is going to a documentary that came out in about, I think 2013 or something like that. And it's called Mile, Mile and a Half. And yes, it's a hiking documentary. And some of you are like, why would you watch videos and movies about hiking? Um, Seriously, even if you're not into hiking, I really think you'd like this one. That the photography and the cinematography in this is insane. Basically, it's the the premise of it is this. There's a, a group of Um, artists who get together. And these are artists like photographers, cinematographers, sound engineers. At some point they pick up some musicians as well as a couple of like actually painters, but they all travel together and they do the John Muir trail. And the John Muir trail is 220 miles. It starts in Yosemite and it ends at Mount Whitney and it is stunning. It's gorgeous. And they do it on a year that it's, it's a 200% snowpack year. They go in July, but there's still snow in the passes, but because they're professionals, they get the most beautiful shots. There's a really cool storyline that follows them as well. They're out there three weeks struggling through the snow and across, you know, down the trail and overpasses, but oh my gosh, the pictures they get, the story, it's super, super cool. So I'm feeling today like I'm going to need to watch this. Maybe I'll put it on at lunch. But anyway, it's today's shout out. Oh, and the, the whole title, Mile, Mile and a Half. Basically with that, it's like people ask you out there, well, how much farther is it? And the, the answer you hear quite often is, ah, mile, mile and a half. Reality is, is it is never a mile mile and a half. <laughs> it could be like five miles. Who knows? But everybody says, ah, it's a mile, mile and a half. So anyway, that's what they named it. And um, it's the shout out. So I hope you get a chance to take a look at it. Well, hey, today, today I want to get a little raw with you here today and share a little bit more of my own personal story. And I'm getting ready to do a workshop with my friends on breaking up with fear. 
and um, we're super excited about this. We're going to be doing this at the at Namba Coffee Shop in Laverne on November 9th. It's a Thursday night. It's a ticketed uh, workshop that's open for to women, and you can get more info on it in my socials, and I'll definitely put stuff in my in the show notes here. Um, but as we've been prepping and having conversations, you know, one of the things we talk about is just how fear shows up in so many ways. And, and of the three of us, we all have different ways fear has shown up in our lives. You know, one of my friends, it showed up with a body shaming and a, and a d- eating disorder. Um, with one of my other friends, it showed up with a chronic pain that she dealt with for 10 years. And, you know, for myself, um, my story is... It, Fear didn't so much manifest in a physical illness. And actually on the outside looking in, you, most people wouldn't have even known that fear had a stronghold in my life, but it did. And uh, I've had to do a lot of unpacking of that the last, oh, I don't know, 10 years or so, and especially in the last five. And it's been quite a journey. And we know that God has came, Jesus came to set us free, to live in freedom. So today I just want to share a little bit of my own backstory on this and Um, you know, let's just start, let me just start with a number here today. And the number is 52. And that's a random number to most people, but not to me. It's a number that held like personal significance for almost 20 years of my life. It's a number that I knew was coming, a number I prepared for, and a number I had to confront. When I was 11 years old, my grandmother was 52. I loved her dearly. She was like a second mama to me. She was strong. She was athletic. She was always encouraging me to play hard. She coached me in the fine art of tree climbing. Uh, I remember when I was four, she walked me up over to the local park where the, they had just started a girls softball league. And I remember holding her hand and she was just like, Don, honey, when you get big, don't you want to do this? And I'm like, yeah, grandma, I want to do that. My grandma was cool. Well, at 52, she was diagnosed with colon cancer. And a month before her birthday, she passed away. Now, I was too young to know it at the time, but fear was a major contributor to her passing. See, I discovered later that she had a day where she was feeling amazing and really felt like she was getting better and beating the cancer. And when she said that to a nurse at the hospital she was at, the nurse basically told her that her case was hopeless. And my grandmother um, just withered up at that point, and within a few days, she passed away. Well, 22 years later, my mom was 52, and I stood next to her in ICU, and she was so sick, and I could see the fear in her eyes. I could feel it. I could taste it. And while we never spoke of it, I knew intuitively that she was afraid that since she was the same age as her mom when she died, I was afraid that she felt that she was destined to die at 52 as well. Now, I didn't want to bring it up to her because what if she actually wasn't thinking that and I planted fear in her brain? So I didn't want to, I didn't want to bring it up, but that fear was later confirmed by one of her friends. Fear had a grip on her and I hated it. But rather than feed the fear, I looked for ways to combat it with her. So I would get these note cards and I would write out scriptures about overcoming fear and I posted them where she could see them around her room. She, she, she was on a ventilator. She couldn't talk. And so um, I would post these different scriptures, though, where she could read them. And she nodded her approval. And so her room, I just, I had those all around her room. Well, when the doctor told us that there was no more that they could actually do for her, my prayer was that God would take away her fear 
and allow her to die peacefully, which he did answer that. There was so much peace in her room the night that she passed. And after she took her last breath, I closed her eyes and I knew that the day would come when I would have to face the fear. The day when, when I would hit 52. And so that night I, I stared out the window into the darkness and I had this conversation with God. Now, those of you that are familiar with the Enneagram, you'll understand this a little bit more, but I'm an eight on the Enneagram and an eight tends to be a little aggressive. <laughs> uh, I like to say assertive, but others would say aggressive and not afraid to say what's on their mind. And especially when they're tired or they're, you know, hungry or just in a hard space. So rather than pleading with God, I told him a few things and then eventually turned my prayer into an ask. And here's the thing. God's fine with us being real because I was really real and raw that night. He knew I was broken at that moment and he wasn't surprised, intimidated by or even upset at my directness. So here's what my prayer sounded like. This was to God. I'm not dying at 52. They were not supposed to die at 52. I want all of my years plus my mom's unlived years and my grandma's unlived years. I'm going to live to be 104. That's two times 52, Lord. And now it's going to be with full of health, life, and purpose. And then I got a little less demanding. Please, Lord, just let me live a full life that honors you with no fear. Now, at that point, I think I was... I think I was 33 and 52 still seemed a long way off, but I knew I needed to be ready for it when it came. So on November 28th, 2018, I turned 52 and it was a very interesting year. Oh, I was two weeks into being 52 and I'd gone on a casual run with friends and it ended with intense pain in my right knee. Once the swelling was under control, I felt the back of my leg and discovered a mass deep inside. I remember thinking, there's a freaking lump on the back of my knee. Fear hijacked my thoughts and set them down this track of panic. And here's what was going on in my head. I'm 52. It's cancer. Will they need to amputate? I've read amputations are easier to deal with if it's below the knee. Will they be able to amputate below the knee? What if they need to amputate above the knee? Will I still be able to run with a prosthetic? What if the cancer is spread? Is it too late? Are you kidding me? I'm 52. Yeah, all of that went through my brain in like two or three seconds. You know, when fear kicks in, it plays for keeps. Now, I was finally able to get in front of the fear that day and put the brakes on. And the way I was able to do that is that I always know that my first resource is to talk to God about it in prayer. He is the author of peace. So I sat back and just said, Lord, there's this lump and I'm freaked out and I'm jumping to conclusions because I'm 52. Please don't let it be anything serious. My prayer was about as spiritual as that, but God hears those kinds of prayers, right? And I could feel my anxiety dissolve and I already had this doctor appointment scheduled. So I did the next best thing that I could do before the doctor's appointment. And that's, uh, I Googled it, right? I mean, don't we all do that? Yeah, I Googled lump behind the knee, and uh, what I discovered was this thing called a Baker's cyst that can occur in people with knee injuries. So later on, when I finally did make it to my doctor, he confirmed my diagnosis. I had this small tear in my quad tendon, and the swelling had caused the cyst. So 
There wasn't going to be any amputation, neither were there, was there any impending death due to cancer that year. But the reality is, my friends, the fear thing was real, right? Fear gets us to rehearse everything that could go wrong. It magnifies, it amplifies until we're so amped up on adrenaline that we can't even think straight. Now, I'd have no other physical health scares throughout the year. Instead, fear would show up in other ways. Some of them short, rather innocuous attempts. Like one day I remember I was out on a flight and we hit some really bad turbulence. And the first thought that came in when the plane rocked was, you're 52, so this plane is probably going down. It's just ridiculous things like that. But you know, like when it comes to physical things, I don't really deal with a lot of fear in physical ways. In other words, like, how do I explain this? Like, I, I, I think I came out of my mother's womb um, just adventurous. I was looking for adventure. But the fear that I had to encounter wasn't so much on that outside. It was actually fear that lurked inside me and had been in me for decades. Only I wasn't really aware of it. And looking back, like I realized that it had appeared dormant, but it was secretly growing like these deep roots into my heart. And when it finally sprouted, it hit me hard. So let me give some background first, a little bit more background on what uh, set me up for that 52 year. In, In 2008, I started my journey into emotional health when I accidentally ended up in a process therapy group at a week-long leadership conference. And yep, it was accidental. I accidentally ended up in a week of therapy. I'm going to tell that story at the, um, at the workshop uh, at Namba when we do uh, Living by Design and, and Breaking Up with Fear. I'll tell that story, and it's sort of a funny story. Um, it, it also rocked my world, and it was the best thing that could have possibly happened to me. I began to learn a lot about myself in that week of therapy and to dig a little deeper. And when the week was over, I signed myself up for more therapy because I needed to unpack what had been unearthed. So that began a process in me. And then in 2016, I took another step forward when I first came across the book, Emotionally Healthy Spirituality. This is an amazing read. I've now read it, oh my gosh, maybe seven or eight times. I've taken so many groups through it. That book was incredible. If you've not read it, I highly encourage getting that book and reading it and ideally reading it with some friends that you can discuss it with. But it was in the reading of that book that I began to be inspired to begin the practice of contemplative prayer. And that will come into play in this story at some point here too. But when I was 52, things went to an entirely new level. I'd read some material, like I mentioned, like on the Enneagram, I mentioned that earlier, and I was experiencing some um, internal pushback. You see, the assessment, like I mentioned, said I was an eight, which is a challenger. And I didn't want to be an eight. So, And I remember I would walk in our office there at the church, and um, the girls who were working around me there, I'd be like, I am not an eight. And what's funny is um, I was challenging the fact of me being an eight. And an eight is a challenger. So I say I'm not an eight, and yet I'm challenging. Like, and everybody just laughed at me, especially as they started to do Enneagram as well. And they're like, you are such an eight. But I didn't like who it said that I was. I didn't want to be an eight. The material forced me to look at childhood wounds, wounds I knew I had, but I hadn't fully processed. I thought I had, but I was wrong. You know, when life got a little bit uncomfortable that year due to circumstances that these um, due to other circumstances that were going on and um, 
different things that were, yeah, were just happening that year in my life. Those wounds began to call the shots. Fear was triggering emotional abandonment issues. Fear of not being in control, fear of trusting others, fear of vulnerability, fear of betrayal, fear that I had missed God's best for my life. I mean, at this point I was wondering, man, am I too old? I was, there was a lot of change happening in work and just like career wise and just like calling wise. And I was like, God, did I miss it? And I said, what God, am I, am I too old to make big life changes? Is it too late? Fear of taking the mask off and living wholeheartedly with a dangerous faith. I was performance driven and I was addicted to doing and all of it was being driven by fear. There was a huge crop of fears all sprouting up at the same time that year I was 52. These fears were not threatening my years, but they were hindering my life. You know, some fears are not out to maybe physically kill us, but they are out to kill us spiritually, emotionally, and relationally. They're out to strangle our dreams and our purpose. They constrict our heart and they put us into survivor mode. And I really think that you know, under this whole thing of being this eight and then eight has anger. That's just, um, like our big thing that we deal with. Um, it's part of the, of what we deal with as an eight. Um, I think that under the anger of an eight is fear. And so I, you know, if I were having a conversation with the Lord back in with that year that I was 52, I would be telling the Lord, Lord, I'm not afraid of anything. And God would be like, Oh yeah, Don. You've been afraid of things for a long time. For a long time, I had stuffed and tried to hide my fears. And I began to realize just how much of a control freak I was. Situations where I had no control, I found myself grasping and trying to manipulate to get the outcome I wanted. All of it fear-driven. So the question was, would I be willing to wrestle with these issues Would I do the hard work of processing the childhood trauma or would I let fear kill my dreams at 52? I mean, sure, my physical heart was going to go on beating past 52, but what about the heart of my spirit? My prayer was not just that I would live to be 104, but that I would be 104 with purpose. So in this whole practice of contemplative prayer that I brought up, up a few minutes ago when I came across that book, Emotionally Healthy Spirituality, it begins to talk about the importance of silence and solitude and stillness. Now, these were practices that I did not have as part of my life prior to this time period. And when you read up on like an Enneagram 8, the expression that an 8 needs the most, the one that I needed the most, was to be still. I hate being still. But it's in the place of stillness that unhealthy attachments to doing and performance and staying busy so that I can be unaware of what's actually happening in my life. It's, it's in those deeper levels when I'm still that those attachments can be broken. I needed to learn to be still, but being still was going to make me face my fears. So God began to draw me into stillness. And the verse, the one that, that resonated deep within me that I know the Lord gave me for that season was out of Exodus chapter 14, verse 14, the Israelites had just left um, Egypt and they are now being chased by Pharaoh and the Egyptians. And, um, 
you know, it's like a horrible thing. I don't remember if this is, I think this is right before the crossing of the Red Sea. And you got mountains on both sides. And basically it's just like their enemies coming after them. And the Lord tells them this, um, or actually the Lord tells Moses to tell them this, the Lord will fight for you. You need only to be still. And God began to tell me that, Dawn, I'm going to fight for you, but you need to be still. You need to be still. Stop trying to control. Stop trying to manipulate. Stop trying to dictate all the different outcomes and have everything the way that you want it to. No, let go. Be still. Trust me. I'll fight for you. And I would tell the Lord, Lord, no, I want to fight. But God would tell me, no, Don, you want to try to control everything. You need to be still so I can work on you and in you. So to help keep me still, God spun a proverbial cocoon (laughs) and he put me inside. And I'm going to talk more about that next week. We're going to pick this story back up. Right now, I want us to camp though, right in the soul spot in regards to like, when God is going to fight our battles for us and with us and on behalf of us. Um, I want us to camp here today. The scripture says that it was for freedom that Christ has set us free. Not freedom to do whatever we want. That's like, that's a very immature definition of what freedom is about. It's actually freedom from fear. It's freedom from being enslaved to the things that kill our soul. And it's freedom to be able to choose that which is good and right and healthy and that brings life. And to step into freedom like that, we need to be honest with ourselves. Now, if you think about the story of Peter, Peter was full of bluster. I love Peter. Peter was always saying all types of crazy stuff and, you know, getting himself, um, he, he he, he was just a pretty amazing character in the Bible, right? The disciple of Jesus. And at one point, you know, he tells Jesus, I'll never leave you. And Jesus is like, you're going to deny me three times before the cock even crows, right? Before the rooster crows, you're going to deny me three times. And he's like, not a chance. If I have to, I will die with you. Peter lacked awareness about the truth of himself. Jesus saw right through him. He knew what was in him. And Peter needed to come face to face with his own um, his own insecurities, his own fears, the reality of the truth of himself, his own brokenness. And the night that Jesus was betrayed, he did deny Jesus three times. And he saw a whole different picture of what was going on in his own internal life. And yet what was really awesome with this is that Jesus didn't leave him in that space. It was important that Peter go through that space. He needed to have a a reality check on what was happening inside of himself and that he couldn't lean into his own strength. It wasn't about his own strength that, that he was broken inside and that he needed the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. And of course, after the resurrection, the Lord Jesus restores him through grace. And Peter has a whole other sense of humility from the inside in the inside of him that he's able to operate from that place of grace. And he was set free from things he didn't know that he was in bondage to before. What would it look like for us, even in this next week, to provide some space for the Lord Jesus Christ just to do that deep inner work in our own life, to slow down? What would it look like to find a space of some stillness and just let 
the Lord Jesus go to work in our own life. Some space where we let go and quit trying to control everything and we just let there be an honest assessment. Is there any place within our own hearts and our own soul where we're running from something or maybe stuffing fears? Are we staying busy and loud because we don't want to really slow down and take a deep look at what's going on inside of us? I mean, that's how I lived for all those years. And there's that space when we just need to come face to face with, Lord, what's going on deep inside me? Come on in and do the work, Lord, you want to do inside of me. He will fight for you. He, he fought for me. And as wayfarers, we engage in rhythms of silence, solitude, and stillness. And I'm going to unpack a lot of that over the upcoming months. There's so much freedom that's found when we begin to get these rhythms into our life. The fruit of living that way is so amazing. But for right now, what if this next week you just took some time to slow down? You took some time to find some stillness. You took some time to turn your noisy world down. And you just said, Lord, what's actually going on deep inside of me? Is fear calling the shots? Are there some things you want to set me free from? Are there some battles you want to fight on my behalf? Well, I just let go and let you go for it in my life. Be amazing to see what he'd do in our lives in this next week if we will provide that space. And I want to encourage you, if you are in the L.A., Orange County areas, um, just reminding you, we've got this workshop going on on Thursday evening, November 9th in Laverne. And um, man, we'd love to have you come because we're going to be talking about breaking free from fear. So... In the meantime, like I said, next week, I'm going to tell part two of this story, this journey in the cocoon, what happened there, and the transformation, the work that God's been doing in my life. But your wayfarers, friends, your wayfarers, lean into this. Remember what I said last week on the podcast? You're doing great. You're doing great. Keep leaning in. Keep pressing on. When the Lord draws us near to do these deep works, it's because he already sees what it's going to look like on the other side. And he's excited about what's going to take part, place in our lives as we lean into that transformation of our lives. So keep pressing in. Keep being wayfarers. You're doing great, my friends. We'll see you next week. Thank you for joining me today on This Wayfaring Life. If you'd like more information on coaching with me, head over to thiswayfaringlife.net where I offer growth coaching for life, leadership, and spiritual formation. See you next time.